0: Welcome to Cream Eggs and Jam.
1: A podcast for food nerds with Show and Tell by Elise Fulbrook and Scott Bagnell.
0: We love to cook with cream eggs and jam and learn from food people who give a damn.
1: So join us each week for thoughts, tips and tricks with guests, recipes, and more in the mix.
0: At the time of recording this podcast, we have a food price crisis. Lettuce is $12 a lettuce, beans are $30 per kilo, and shoppers are in disarray. What What will we do? Is this the future, or are these prices only here to stay while farms are flooded across the country? Maybe it's time to plant. Welcome to episode 9 of Cream, Eggs and Jam. Today we are talking urban gardening and the wonders of growing your own at home. And I think we
1: have officially gone mad. It is episode 9 and I'm coming to you today from Yagara country.
0: And I'm coming to you from Wurundjeri Country. We begin this podcast, like every podcast, by thanking the traditional custodians of the land on which we are recording this podcast. We pay our respect to Elders past, present and emerging and we acknowledge that this land was never ceded. Scotty? Yes? Have you had to buy any fresh fruit or produce recently?
1: God, no. Oh,
0: wow. Well Well, well done. Good for you. I've been How living are you surviving? on two-minute noodles. Oh, God, okay. Well, that's, that's definitely going to result in scurvy. I mean, you need some nutrition. You're not a university student. What's going on?
1: I feel like I'm at university this week. I can tell you I've got a massive deadline. Nutrition okay. has gone out the door. I'm living on chocolate biscuits and two-minute noodles.
0: Okay, look, I, I don't live nearby. But if anyone lives near Scotty, Andrew, if you're listening, we, we need your help.
2: Scotty, Scotty
0: needs to access um, a green vegetable that hopefully does not cost $12 a leaf. Um, <laughs> what's in your garden at the moment?
1: Oh, look, like I think a lot of places in Queensland, everything is so wet um. and so... I've lost a lot of my plants. They've all, like, I had the most beautiful bush of basil and it just got so wet that it all just, like, went to mush.
0: Oh, yes, yes. It's that time of year, though. It's not really mm. basil, basil time. And um, I, reckon, I reckon if you've had it up until around now, you'd, you've done pretty well, surely. Mm. Mm. Yes,
1: that's true. That's true but I need to replant like I've just got dregs of things lying around looking very sad and sorry and I feel I just need to do a restart new topsoil, get Mm. some compost in there Um, it's been on the to-do list, I really do my garden is not looking good
0: well, I suppose your timeline is a little bit different to ours here in Melbourne. I put garlic in in April and when I was doing that gardening, that's when I put my broccoli in, that's when I put uh, Ooh, yeah. Romanesco in and uh, radicchio. So, they're the main things that are going on in my garden. I recently put in some broad beans that a friend of mine gave me just before winter started at the end of, at the end of autumn. Um, but our, yeah, our climates are so, so different so I would expect that our planting schedules would also be um not very much aligned maybe you are two Mm. months um kind of behind because your your weather doesn't cool down as soon as as ours
1: yes very possible
0: Hmm. Well, mm-hmm. look, we, we will be talking more about urban gardening in this podcast today. Our wonderful guest that we will be talking with is Jacqueline Krupe. If you have a copy mm. of a wonderful book be- called Nonna Knows Best or a book called Garden Like a Nonna, you'll know Jacqueline. She is the author of these texts. She's also a bookseller at the Hill of Content bookshop here in Melbourne. She's a freelance book editor and a project manager. She is an absolute force to be reckoned with and such a wealth of knowledge when it comes to gardening um, that she credits to her, her Italian grandparents, particularly um, her nonno and the nonno's that she has grown up with or all met in the process of writing Garden Like a Nonno.
1: Mm, I'm excited to talk to you like Jacqueline. It's going to be good, I think.
0: Oh, she lives so close to me, Scotty, and I I just feel like we need to be friends, but you know, our our schedules aren't always matching and aligning, so this is actually the first time I'm having a proper conversation with her, and I'm very excited myself. Scotty, uh, before we begin any kind of interview on this podcast, we do have a little bit of a chat about MasterChef Australia, and we, we, we like to talk about uh, extrapolating what happens within the Sunday night elimination episode just prior to this podcast being released. Could you please, now, I don't know if you watched the episode, but this is one episode that I actually was engaged with. Um, wow. Wow. I know I
1: am surprised (laughs) I knew this day would come I ask you every week Did you watch this? I wasn't even going to ask you this week I was like Okay, I give up You never watch it And you've gone and thrown a wobbly in the mix
0: Yes As we heard earlier on in the episode I have been possessed by the devil And (laughs) Yes A part of the reason I wanted to watch Was because I wanted to see Tommy eliminated Oh (laughs)
1: That is so mean.
0: (laughs) I'm sorry, Tommy. I just wanted to watch. The reason why I wanted to watch is because little bits and pieces were coming through on social media uh, suggesting that Aldo was making an aquapazza in the elimination round. And when Tommy was eliminated last year, I made an aquapazza and he was sent home. And I was like, oh, no, is it happening again? Whoa. Yes. So... In, in in that is the does that explain why I wanted to watch? <laughs> <laughs> I was just interested I'm to see sure if history if you've
1: repeated
2: itself. <laughs>
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: I was invested. Mm. Yes,
1: and I think it was a very poignant episode in terms of you know using all that you have and extending food. Beyond the one use. I liked it. And Sunday night's elimination episode was about being resourceful. They had to choose one item and they had to use the one item across three separate dishes if they got into that round. Um, I remember a challenge that we did. Were you in this with Josh Nyland?
0: I I was safe in round one. You were safe in round one also. You made a delicious sauce. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and I cooked yes. my piece of fish well, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> so we didn't have to go through and deal with more rounds and of it was cooking a that similar day. Similar challenge, wasn't it? Similar we had challenge. One
1: fish, and it had to go mm. across three dishes. Mm. You've got to be very strategic in how you play that one. Like, do you go all out and do a really good dish and not worry about reserving too many things, mm. or do you start and just use a small amount so that you've got more left? the longer you have to stay in the cook. Like it's a tricky one to work out in your head, isn't it?
0: Yeah. There were – you know what? The cook that Tommy went home with last year too was a similar cook. You had to use the same thing across two rounds.
2: Really?
0: Yes, but it was a little bit Whoa. different. You had to choose an ingredient to feature in a yes. fast food dish and then yep. in the second round when it was the pointy end because less people means higher stakes – Mm-hmm. You had to use that ingredient in a fancy dish.
1: Uh-huh. So
0: same, same, but different. Yes. Mm. Very interesting. 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 What, um, now, people might not know this, but in that mm. Josh Nyland cook that we did last year, we were given that whole fish. And yes. if you were safe they actually packaged or the food team, the MasterChef food team, packaged the rest of the fish for you to take back to your hotel. So after yes. the show was filmed that day, we got to all take home leftover uh, Murray Cod <laughs> yes. in, in, in whatever capacity was left given you know our, our, our progress of the day. Scotty, do you remember what you did with the rest of your fish that day?
1: Oh, gosh. I remember taking it back and um, doing a lot of different dishes. Um, I wanted to finish cooking the dishes that I had in my head. So yeah. I ended up making a few different things. But the, the one thing I made with that leftover Murray cod, which I absolutely loved, is I made a beautiful stock. Mm. Um, and I used that stock to do some fish dumplings. I remember that. Um, But then the leftover, like, carcass in that stock had all the beautiful bones from the fish. Um, And I picked off all the the fish that went into the stock as well um, and added some beautiful fennel that was in the stock. I put lots of fennel in the stock as well. And I made this gorgeous terrine. It was sort of like a fish brawn. So all of the bones... Gelatinized is that a word? Gelatinized? They became gelatinous gelatinous
0: and delicious. (laughs) Just say that.
1: (laughs) Went into a jelly and I pressed it into like a terrine mold and it had all the beautiful like chunks of fish from all the different parts. Like you had the fatty belly bits and the um the main like dryer bits. So I had to be really careful to get rid of all the bones and everything. But this terrine was gorgeous. It looked absolutely stunning. Sliced it up. You had these beautiful, um, like, slices of this pressed fish. Mm. And what sauce did I do with that? I did a delicious sauce with that as well. It was gorgeous.
0: I feel like that kind of dish, it comes to you when you have time and... Yes. You, you notice as you go the potential of of bits and pieces that you have available to you. When mm. when you have less, you can achieve more. I don't mm. know would that that terrain wouldn't have been possible within the time constraints of the MasterChef kitchen. I nor don't think do so I think you would have like leaned into that creative process as much. Um, right. It's it's a space where you've got to think on your feet, fast and hard, and you're not necessarily acknowledging that, oh, I could do this with fennel because you are confronted with 50,000 ingredients in that bloody pantry. Yes. Anyway, anyway um, I was similar. What did you and, do with your fish? Yeah, I I, I I was very similar and thought, oh, I need to do what I didn't make. Um, mm. And particularly because Josh Nyland had been there, you've got to think about – you really using the whole fish, not just mm-hmm. the bones, but any kind of trim mm-hmm. that is left on the bone is is meat. And I made a de pesce with all of the trim, Ooh. so little fish uh, meatballs, but they're flavoured uh, with um, some... Currants, as well as um, oh, like the, the usual suspects that you would put into a meatball, and so mm-hmm. you get those little pops of sweetness inside the inside the meatball. And you can even put pine nuts in them too, if you wanted. Yeah. Yum!
1: Yeah. And, and how do you serve them, the meatballs? Do you with pasta you,
0: or? Yeah, you could like you could make a sauce with them, mm. and mm. these would be your meatballs with the pasta. You could just fry them and sear them and have them like that. That would be lovely. Mm. Um, Yeah. You could also. um, What else is a nice way? What else did I do? Anyway, yeah, that's enough chat about that. (laughs) Moving on. <laughs> Speaking of pasta, Scotty, Jacqueline Krupe is our guest today, and her current project actually involves her love of pasta. She Ooh. is an avid urban gardener, but I believe our chat is about to be about much, much more. We are joined by the inimitable Jacqueline Krupe and she is someone that we admire for being both food and book obsessed. Jacqueline, welcome to Cream Eggs and Jam. Um, could you please introduce yourself and and your connections with food and books?
3: Hi, yeah, I'm, I'm Jacqueline Krupe and I guess my connection with books is that I work with books, so I'm a book editor primarily and have been for 20 years and so I also write books now and a lot for children and a few recently for adults in the past couple of years and my connection to food is I guess I grew up in an Italian family and we cooked a lot and we ate a lot and we talked about food a lot and about eating a lot <laughs> um, and so yeah, the food thing has always just been a big part of my life um, and cooking and gardening as well, which um, I guess we'll get to. But um, yeah, the books the books came much later. Uh, we weren't a bookish household, but we were a, a food household and really only Italian food growing up.
0: I'm wondering what some of the non like garden like a non-null, might say to you if you would ask them about Uh, the price of lettuce these days, what do you think would be their
3: response? I don't think they would have even noticed the price of lettuce these days because they're not buying lettuce, they're Mm. growing their own lettuce. So um, I must admit I was – quite oblivious to the price of lettuce until it became sort of a news story Mm. because um, especially this time of year it's so easy to be growing your own lettuce and that's just something lettuce is something I always have in my garden and I always want to be able to go outside and pick a salad and that can look very different what's in that salad isn't necessarily just lettuce but um, that's sort of my gardening aim is to always have um, salad at my back door so yeah I don't think they would have noticed I think they would be pretty horrified by it and I think they would be worried about people spent mm. needing to spend that much money if they did want lettuce um, but then they would also especially a non nor just be like get get some seeds in the ground <laughs> in, a, in a few weeks you can have you can have plenty of lettuce it'll cost you a fraction of what it's going to cost you to buy one in the supermarket right now.
1: I thought this was just a Queensland problem because I'm based in Queensland and we've had so much rain up here and all the farms here are just completely saturated. Um, But I'm interested that it's also a Melbourne problem.
3: Yeah, I think, I mean, Queensland, a big part of the problem is a lot of our food comes from Queensland, which is a problem in itself. Mm. That's a long way for food to travel.
2: Mm. Yes.
3: so that's part of it, absolutely, that, that crop being completely destroyed and then obviously just the price of everything, the shortage of labour, you know, there's, it's, a, it's a complicated mm-hmm. problem that I won't pretend I completely understand. But <laughs> yes. um, I, I personally don't have a shortage of lettuce, which I'm very grateful for.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> the the erosion of Melbourne's food bowl has been something that's been going on um, for quite a while and is a complex topic. Um, You know, we come back to that old housing debate of whether or not we need to be growing up or out when it comes to Mm. the expansion of our city. Um, But, you know, this is what happens when we don't have Mm. local food. um, We can enter crisis points, um, particularly for households who can't afford, um, you know, healthy ingredients. Jacqueline, I'm wondering... Um, what was the inspiration behind Nonna Knows Best and Garden Like a Nonno?
3: So Nonna Knows Best was very much born of um, wanting to share the knowledge of this generation of Italian nonne who, uh, if they're still with us, they're in their 80s and 90s now pretty much and they live a very simple life what seems like a very simple life in many ways. They do everything by first principles. Um, they take their time. They refuse to be rushed. Um, life is, you know, tr- relatively tranquil and they garden and they mend things and they fix things and they take care of things Um they have very simple beauty routines. My nonna always just put olive oil on her skin and she would drink right. some olive oil, so inside and out. Drink? Um, yeah, three tablespoons a day as a sort of medicinal hmm. dose. Okay. Um, and she had the most beautiful skin you've ever seen, so wow. who knows. <laughs> and that came out in April 2020 and it's sort of actually – as terrible as the time was for a book to come out when all bookshops were closed, certainly in Melbourne. Mm-hmm. Um, it was also a moment where I think people were looking to simplify their lives a little bit. And there's a whole section about um, how nonnas don't do takeaway. They don't understand the concept of takeaway. They also wouldn't really go out for coffee because you can just make coffee at home and you can play cards at home and you can just do all these things. So, Some of the advice in there I think was useful and what started happening at that time was I started getting lots of messages from friends and family about gardening suddenly out of nowhere people who've never stepped foot in their own backyard suddenly wanted to turn it into a food paradise and they wanted to know and I've been g- gardening for a long time and they wanted to know what I was doing and how I was doing it and what they should be doing they were also really struggling to get materials because a lot of plant nurseries were closed mm-hmm. um all the seed um seed saving networks online um were really not keeping up with the orders because they just got absolutely bombarded in a way they weren't set up for. And so I started sending people seeds and making these little videos on my Instagram about my garden and what I was doing and how to quickly get some rocket if you run some greens really quickly and what you could do, you know, at this point in time in this sort of start of a pandemic. And then a few people said, you should write a book about this. This is a book. And I thought, and and my publisher had said, oh, you've done the nonno book. Now what's the nonno book? And I I couldn't really visualize what the nonno book was. I didn't be like, oh, no, there is no nonno book. And then I was just (laughs) like, oh, my gosh, it's staring me right in the face. There's a gardening book about nonnos. And so Garden Like a Nonno was really all the things I learned from both of my grandfathers about gardening when you have very few, or you think you have very few resources. Mm-hmm. My neither of my non bought a lot of stuff for their garden. They really, you know, they kept chickens, they mm-hmm. made their own fertilizers, they made their own pest control, they rigged up their own water saving, you know, they never invested in a rainwater tank. Full disclosure, I have a rainwater tank, but they mm-hmm. would sort of you know change the plumbing of their homes to gather that rainwater. They'd be out there in the pouring rain because you know, water's mm-hmm. precious when you've got a garden. Mm-hmm. Um, And so I put that in a book and I thought this is going to be useful. There's some controversial stuff in there. I think both of my grandfathers, for example, used their own urine as fertiliser. Oh wow! Um, Because it's full of nitrogen and just for the
0: lemon tree or Uh, no, no.
3: So diluted as a fertilizer in a watering can. Obviously, you never pee directly onto plants. Um, (laughs) But your your pee is full of nitrogen. It does have a bit of quite a lot of salt, so you do need to dilute it for that reason. But um, on an empty garden bed, you could certainly use
0: human urine. So my (laughs) my nonno had nothing in his car. And he used to say, you know, that's how a car should be, especially, you know, mm. imagine if it got stolen, you, you would lose everything in the car. Mm. And he, <laughs> the only thing he had in his car was a juice bottle and he kept it at the driver's side door and it was his wee bottle. Wow. Uh, I wasn't
3: expecting that. I thought it was going
0: to be for water, but okay. (laughs) But I have no idea if he ever used it for the garden. I know that he did. Anyway.
3: You ingenuity. Might have, yeah, that's the, ingenuity. the thing. They were mm. they were so ahead of their times in terms of reusing. Re- you know, every my whole nonno's um, shed was organised mm. using little um, margarine containers. So all ah, of his yes. different screws and things were all yes. perfectly organised. But it was things that had, you know old milk cartons were used. It was just all things that had come out of the kitchen. He didn't go and
0: buy little plastic mm. tubs. Oh, my dear oh, Frank's um, shed is very similar. Every single four-liter olive oil container that has probably ever been through their household has <laughs> repurposed, been repurposed into a drawer. So he's oh, cut out the, oh, b- wow. yeah, the tin, and he keeps whatever. They're all organized. Yeah. They're all that's, labeled. Um, oh, that's um, fun. My dear Lucy is very similar at her house. You know, her dog poop scoop, I don't know why we're talking about waste, but here we are. (laughs) It's (laughs) a problem. It's a problem. Her poop scoop is like an old milk carton that she's cut out into a scooper. Anyway, what's
3: funny? I actually just caught myself <laughs> earlier. I was um, topping up my chickens' feeder, and I was doing it with exactly that—a um, a juice carton that I've cut out to be a scoop. And I just thought, I didn't even realise I did this, but it works perfectly. And yeah. you know, I didn't. Yeah, I don't need to buy a scoop.
0: It's fun that not buying things. things. It really is. <laughs> yeah, I've
3: tried. I've tried to buy nothing new for two years now.
1: Wow. Oh, that's great. Mm. That's amazing. So it
3: was, it was pandemic sort of inspired, I guess, mm-hmm. and I have failed a couple of times. I've bought a blender for my birthday. <laughs> right. I feel
1: um, you can't make that out exactly. mobile, I tried to. I tried to
3: that's get a second-hand blender and it just there were just really crappy ones and I was like, no, you know, I'm actually going to use this a lot. I need a good mm-hmm. blender. Mm-hmm.
0: Yes. It's, so, it is worthwhile investing in a blender. Can I ask you what you went for? Because I would have well, anticipated you researched this.
3: Yeah, my dream, of course, you know what my dream was um, and the price just made yeah. me too, far too nervous. So but I this didn't is the get thing. the
0: Vitamix. What, uh, I thought you might have said Thermomix, which is even no, double, it's no, double the no, Vitamix. Mm. No,
3: no, mm. no. The Vitamix is a dream I still have.
0: Yep. Um, my nonna has one, Jacqueline. No. Yes. <laughs> she has a green smoothie every day. It's her, it's her oh, breakfast wow, and great. lunch meal. She makes a massive one and drinks half in the morning, puts oh, the rest into a juice container. I should have done that. <laughs> this this is turning into nonna.
3: She's this knows, is a podcast of what, what you can do with what. juice. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm. Yeah. So I, I have okay. Blender Regret. I'm not going to yeah, yeah. lie. I, okay. I already okay.
0: have Blender
3: Regret. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Yeah. So that's
0: why I shouldn't have bought anything new. <laughs> <laughs> you mentioned um, water is precious, and mm-hmm. and the reluctance of of, of non nulls and non-ners to buy stuff. Um, mm. I, I am precious, and I invested in raised garden beds. Mm-hmm. And it, some of some part of me regrets the decision because I've bought stuff, and right. uh, there are other ways of doing things, particularly when the soil. Um, of where we live is so great. Um, mm. But th- there were reasons for buying raised garden beds, uh, for me anyway. I'm wondering what your particular position is when it comes to th- things like this. You know, w- do you embrace the, the non-null attitude of just dig up the dirt <laughs> that you have um, or do you think that there is a place uh, in the backyard or the front yard for for beautiful garden beds that are raised and and made of different materials?
3: Yeah, so I I have interesting lots of different thoughts about this, to be honest. So Mm. part of me is you've got a garden, you've got soil, why are you putting something on top of it and Mm. effectively killing your topsoil, which is the most precious thing that you have. Um, Mm. But I think there are very real um, urban factors. So if you test your soil and you find any kind of heavy metals, Um, You absolutely need to build on top of that soil at least 30 centimetres to be growing food that's safe to eat. Mm. So that's a real factor and a real reason to get raised beds, in my opinion. Mm. Um, As someone, I don't have raised beds, um, so I'm someone who's constantly bending over, leaning over things, you know, and... Long, I don't know, I won't be able to do that for my whole life and Mm. accessibility is really important in gardens and raised beds allows people who might not be able to garden otherwise to garden. So I think that's a wonderful thing. Mm. Um, I love wicking beds. I think they work so, they're so smart and that you can really grow food effectively and not be wasting water. Mm. Um, So I'm, I'm always interested in wicking beds. I personally don't have one yet, but I do plan to build one one day. Um, So I yeah I, so I haven't done it and I guess my main thing against it is I don't want anything to be a barrier to someone gardening and if a five hundred dollar raised bed is a it's a big investment to, to grow five hundred dollars of vegetables mm. takes time it takes a bit of luck um, mm. people might be put off before they've sort of recouped the price of what they've um, outlaid so I don't want there to be any barrier to people growing food so. It is as simple as using the dirt that you have, just adding a few things to it and throwing some seeds down. It is that simple, but, you know, there are also these other factors. So... um, yeah, I have no problem with people buying raised veggie beds or, or fancy things or whatever it is. Mm, mm. Um, and my nonno certainly didn't do that. But I know a lot of, I've got a lot of friends where their only space is their driveway and it's concreted. Um, so the only way to grow food there would be a raised bed. It makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, so turning space that's otherwise unusable and making it a productive space, these things allow us to do that. Yes.
1: Does your nonno have... Any pest control hot <laughs> tips for possums.
3: Oh god. Because
1: I have <laughs> such a massive possum problem yeah. at my place. They strip everything. I had this beautiful pawpaw tree that's like twice the height of me. It was covered in tiny little baby pawpaws. Mm. And yesterday I went downstairs and it literally is a stump.
2: Yeah. The possums
1: have stripped absolutely everything off this pawpaw tree.
3: So neither of my non-nors really had to deal with possums. They weren't in quite the population numbers that they are now. But I, I guess the, thing, the first thing to say about possums is they're native. They belong here. They're part of our yes. ecosystem. They're very important. I think they're so cute. They're Just adorable. Don't eat, don't eat everything. So really, <laughs>
1: <Dog>. The <laughs> only
3: so thing cool. that works is is barriers, so mm. netting, Um, So, yeah, getting little bags around those pawpaws early to prevent access because if they can access it, they're going to eat it. You know, we all want to eat. We're all hungry. (laughs) We all love food. (laughs) and You know, they're foodies. They like their food. Um, I I currently have a a problem with possums eating... My parsley, they've never eaten my parsley before. Parsley is basically a weed for me. It just grows everywhere. It's out of control in my garden. Um, yes. And I, I almost use it as a mulch. It just sort of keeps oh, the swirl wow. <laughs> together. Um, but they're stripping it and I, they must they be very hungry to be eating parsley. parsley.
1: Oh, I can't <laughs> grow parsley for love or money in my place. The possums are obsessed with it. I think it's their favorite food. (laughs)
3: Well, this is a new one for me. In 20 years of gardening, I've never had anything eat parsley.
0: Oh my gosh. (laughs) So I'm went,
1: wondering, like, mm. should I leave my pawpaw tree there? I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull it out because it's impossible to grow pawpaws, but I'm thinking maybe I should leave it there as, the, like, that can be the gift to the possums. They yeah. can go crazy <laughs> and eat the pawpaws and maybe they won't eat anything else.
3: I wish they would think like that, but they <laughs> won't.
1: No. They won't. Oh, and gosh. I've tried all the
3: garlic sprays and the chilli sprays oh, and they say even dog hair, putting some dog, dog hair. i None yes. of that works. They're so no. smart. None of that yeah. works. <laughs> Yeah. The only thing that works is netting, um, yep. and if they do, if they can find a way in, they will. So really well netted. <laughs> <laughs>
1: yes. I okay. have cages around everything. <laughs>
3: yeah. oh, That's wow. the only way, or yep. net your whole garden. That's the other option.
1: Yes, yes, I have thought about
0: that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking things. of pests, I'm wondering, Jacqueline, um, what are your tips or non-nut inspired tips for? keeping pests away particularly from brassicas because I know that's what the season is at the moment here in Melbourne we're all trying to grow broccoli <laughs> yeah yes. and um, aphids love broccoli snails love broccoli
3: mm. um yeah so aphids I have a really easy solution I had a big aphid attack on my brassicas this year and I just use warm soapy water in a spray bottle and just every day for a week out there, just get spraying all over, um, and that suffocates them. It doesn't hurt anything else. That's a problem with a lot of these horticultural oils. They're not poison. But they kill other things, so they can mm-hmm. hurt. They can, you know, hurt ladybirds and things that are going to actually help you with your aphid problem. You're sort of knocking out. And I had a really interesting thing. This I'm having an interesting thing this, this season as well with my broad beans, where I'm having green aphids attack my broad beans, oh. which has also never happened. It's a weird year. I don't know what's going on. But there's <laughs> Different things happening in my garden. And um, I did the soapy water again, um, and I, I sprayed them with the hose as well, just to try to knock some of them off. But the last time. I looked, um, the parasitic wasp that feeds on aphids, it's a really welcome pet is destroying what's left. So oh, wow. if if I had done nothing, I think I would have I would still reach this point because this predator has come in and has fixed the problem for me. And so, so that's what nonnos were very that. observant. They looked at things and they decided when to intervene and when to just leave it and, some, mm. you know, something is going to come in and sort this out itself. Nature will sort this out. Wow. So I probably intervened too early in my broad bean aphid problem. Mm. But the other thing, I, I, I haven't had snails attack my brassicas. I, I keep the snail population very under control in my garden for obvious reasons and the main way I do that is any light rain I'm out there in my gumboots squashing everything, Um, and putting it to my chickens. I have chickens as well that also help help me maintain um, slugs and snails. Mm. But I had a terrible brassica experience this week, where I've had them covered for white cabbage moth. So I use insect netting. um, I feel I find after many ex- years and experiments the best thing to do is to just cover them from when they're seedlings going in, and mm. so you, they, the white cabbage moth never gets to them. It never lays its eggs. it's never a problem because my nonno used to be out there every day checking every leaf and squishing all the eggs, and I'm just not as reliable as he was. I've proven myself to be much (laughs) less reliable than him. And so, yeah, insect netting. But now my, my brassicas were huge. I was ready to start harvesting broccoli. And so I was like, well, I'll take the netting off, let the sun actually, you know, hit the plant, hit the soil. It's getting quite cold. And in one night... The possums ate the lot. It's gone. The plants oh, are stripped no. bare. There's nothing left. And oh, it was, no. I haven't had a, such a devastating crop loss oh, <laughs> in a long no. time. And it re, I, like, I cried. It was, it was very upsetting. Oh, awesome. But you learn that, you know, mm, netting yes. is doing more than one job, right? It's not, it wasn't just for the white cabbage butterfly. And I probably, you know, I probably have a rodent problem. I probably have a, like there's probably a lot of things going on out there that I'm not dealing
2: with. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh gosh, well, from the parsley to the, your <laughs> broccoli, uh, what are your favourite vegetables to be growing right now? Uh, and um, do you have them still in your garden? Or yeah, are they, yeah. oh, What's
3: left? Yeah. Um, so I guess part of my philosophy, and this was certainly came from my non and that was to grow things that are rare to, and hard to find to buy that I've enjoyed eating or that are very expensive to buy um so you get your bang for your buck especially I mean I don't have I have a large backyard but it's not infinite and I can't grow everything I want to so I do like growing weird things and things that I can't find and so that does actually include a lot of Italian lettuces um Puntarel, a lot of chicorias, endives. I love Bicha flavors. So I grow a lot of that and I find the, you know, the possums don't touch that. They don't like bitter. So that's
2: Ooh, okay,
0: that's, that's really a good nice. hot tip. Yeah, they I love won't that eat, too.
3: They won't eat things that are a bit bitter. I grow a lot of leafy greens and I guess that comes back to the lettuce but also Asian greens. I like to always be able to make a soup or a stir fry um, again and they're so easy to grow. They're so forgiving. They're so fast. Um, I just think that's, yeah, the greatest thing to grow. Yeah. Um, I like to grow Romanesco broccoli um, or cauliflower, which, whatever it is, um, mm. because, again, it's quite expensive to buy. It's usually $10 for, for one, and I mm. tend to grow 10 for a pack of seeds I've had for a long time. Um, nice. Garlic, same reason. I use a lot of garlic, mm. and organic garlic is expensive. Um, when you go through it, I'm sure as fast as all three of us. <laughs> yes. <make> it. so
2: <laughs> much
3: garlic. Um, <laughs> Again, it takes, a, it takes a long time. It's in, my, it's in the soil for six months but I think it is worth it and possums hate it. Oh, mm. So a good. lot of people use it as a perimeter um, planting and then mm. the possums won't go in. They, yeah. I haven't found that 100% effective and maybe you yeah. do need to sort of be quite like it needs to be a lot of garlic but um, <laughs> two rows or something. But, yeah, they, 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 they dislike garlic plants. That, that is mm. true. Uh, I don't know how many I've said. You asked me for five, but I'm gonna, I'll just keep going. Herbs. I hate, I hate buying herbs. I refuse mm. to buy herbs. I grow every herb that I use and I use a lot of herbs. And I just, for me it's also a packaging thing. Like even at my yeah. organic grocer when you buy herbs, they come in a plastic sleeve and I just, I hate it. It
1: just yeah. seems
3: so unnecessary.
1: Um, I agree, I agree. The packaging mm, side packaging. of fresh fruit and vegetables is so bad. And, yeah, herbs, you get like one stick of sage in this massive plastic, yeah. non-reusable container. It's mm. Yeah, it's bad. It's
0: hard what, to avoid. what perennial herbs or herbs that are available all year round are mm. the easiest
3: mm. to grow? So rosemary and thyme, without doubt. I mean, I punish my rosemary. I give it nothing. And it just loves me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and time as well. I find time just so generous. Sage also. Sage is a pretty hardy, mm-hmm. and there's so many varieties of sage, and they're so pretty. It's like it adds flowers. It you know, it's you're getting pollinators in. It's just doing so many different things. This one small shrub. Nice. Um, what are the perennial? Well, for me, parsley is a perennial. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just always. It's always out there. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggle with coriander so oh, this time yes. of year i can grow coriander really well but in summer i don't even try i've given i've given up completely oh, wow. i buy coriander okay. in summer which is a slightly heartbreaking but i can't like, i've
1: yeah. given up with coriander in queensland mm-hmm. it's just way too hot you've and got to water to it eat. like oh, five right. times a day
0: yeah yeah
1: that's right
0: my last just bunch of coriander delicate. um all of a sudden it all went flat I've Hmm. no it. It was like something decided to sit in it, but Uh, it was it was netted. No, it it was in a raised bed with a um, A with a net on top. So uh, something happened. I um loved the idea of putting it in at this time of year though because that didn't dawn on me. I. (laughs) Yeah, I haven't planted. It's really slow to bolt
3: at this time of year. So you can I, – I have a, a, basically a coriander field at the moment um, and just constant harvesting and, yeah, it's wonderful. Um, yeah, really nice. And then I guess is, the other – thing. oh, sorry, go
0: ahead. Oh, I was going to quickly ask, is it a good companion plant for anything in particular?
3: Not that I know of and I sort of just grow it around thing. I, all my herbs are sort of mixed in with the vegetables, vegetables, um, and not that I know of it possibly is but co- yeah mm. coriander wasn't part of my nonno's gardening that's for sure basically no. anything non-italian wasn't part of their gardening <laughs> so I have you know the asian greens is something that I've sort of because I, I enjoy eating them so much that I've sort of adopted them but I think if they knew how easy they were to grow and how generous I think they would have gotten into it um mm. and the, I guess the only other thing I do grow and really try to cultivate uh what many people would call weeds so I grow stinging nettle Mm -hmm. um because I love it I think it's so delicious um and it's really good for you and Mm. it's versatile and yeah so and dandelion um yeah so a few I like to have a few weeds in my garden that are actually very useful to eat and just
1: discovering weeds in my garden I had one that is just taking over all the beds and I was getting really cross at it because no matter how much I pulled out, it would just come back. Um, and I found that it's an edible weed. I think mm. it's called scurvy weed. It's got a beautiful Ooh. blue flower. Ooh. To it doesn't it. sound it,
3: good, scurvy I know, weed. I, I know. prevents <laughs> scurvy, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I think that's what it was called. It's got this blue <laughs> flower and now I love it. I've, yeah. I've stopped pulling it out because I'm like, well, you're edible and you're pretty and yeah. I'll just, I'll just have, deal with you. Have you, you cook cooked it with out. it? Have you tried it? I haven't tried cooking with it. I've tried eating it right. and it's not too bad. It's not yeah. sort of just herby, herbaceous, yeah, grassy, yes. but oh, the blue flower is pretty.
3: Yeah, look it up. And bees love the blue. I mean, blue is their favourite oh. colour. They're attracted oh, well, to blue flowers. Go. So the pollinators will be happy.
0: I'm wondering what your favourite uses for dandelion and nettle are, Jacqueline. I know from my experience, um, my nonna loves to cook nettle um, just by boiling it and then we drink the water that it's been boiled in Mm -hmm. and then dress it simply with olive oil. And salt, Um, and I think with the dandelion, mostly we eat it as a salad. But what's your uh, particular use for these beautiful herbs that may also be vegetables or weeds? Well, it depends.
3: (laughs) Uh, A weed is just something growing where you don't want it to, technically. But um, well, young dandelion leaves, I love in salad. I think they're delicious. Older ones, I, I, I make a weed pie, so I mix up nettle. I've got a lot of warrigal greens as well in my garden, um, and so I just make basically a big green Swiss chard, whatever I have that's green, and that's usually includes stinging nettle and dandelion. Um, and, yeah, nice pastry, some feta, you know. I don't need to tell you guys (laughs) Uh, what a a pie is. Um, And that's delicious and wintry and warming and it feels really nutritious. And those weeds have so much more um, nutritional value than spinach, um, than silverbeet. than these vegetables that we think of as super healthy, like these weeds are way healthier. Um, (laughs) Purslane is another favourite of mine and that's great in a salad. Um, Young purslane is beautiful. So... They're the main ones that I use, and I probably yeah. could use a lot more. There's wild brassica everywhere at the moment. Um, I'm going on walks with my dog and just thinking, oh, maybe I should start harvesting this because something ate all of my brassicas.
0: So <laughs> <laughs> mm. I'm feeling yeah. We we live in similar territory, Jacqueline, and I'm wondering what you forage for when you go for your walks. Um, for me, it's always about the wild fennel and maybe some wild celery.
3: Oh, I don't see any wild celery around here, Mm. but I don't know that I would identify it properly. So we need to go for a walk and you need to teach me that. (laughs) Uh, Wild fennel, absolutely. I love wild fennel. Um, Mm. So many dishes. Yeah, I love wild fennel. But um, at the moment, the main thing I'm foraging for is leaves, (laughs) not not to eat I should say okay Okay. um dried leaves I I particularly like oak leaves and there's a street around the corner from me that is lined with oak trees and so yeah I I hold on to my dog and I have a big bag and I just fill it up with leaves from the footpath and I put it in my compost I make leaf mold I use it as a deep litter for my chickens so And I use it as a mulch. So it saves me a lot of money because mm. mulch, especially I don't know if you've noticed the price of mulch, no one talk, is talking about the price of mulch. The uh, pea straw has gone up so much in the past five years yeah. Um, and really isn't super sustainable. And if you are trying to garden frugally, um, it's probably used to be my biggest expense. And now leaves have just completely replaced my need for mulch mm. because it acts as a mulch. Yeah. And as it breaks down, it's adding nutrients to the soil. It's doing this, it's doing many, again, I like things that do lots of different things. And leaf mould is where you get some wire netting in a big circle and you fill it with leaves and you water them down and you try to keep them moist and they break down, you know, a huge pile of leaves breaks down to sort of that much, you know, a few litres of um, leaf mould, which is a wonderful ingredient for seed-raising mix and potting mix, which like my non-nors, I make my own of those. Again, it's the not buying things. Um, And you can't, even if you wanted to buy leaf mould, I've never seen it for sale. And it's this thing you can make completely free. It just takes six months of a pile of leaves breaking down and
0: you do do nothing. This is the time of year. The time is now.
3: Yes. So I go out with my huge plastic barrels that I inherited from my non-no and um, people see me raking up leaves and filling up these barrels and then (laughs) I just mulched all my fruit trees with it and then I like to – end autumn winter there's still a lot of leaves at the moment but end this period with barrels full like packed in full of leaves for the rest of the year until it's mm-hmm. time to go and collect leaves again but that's the main thing I forage for every walk I have a huge bag I come home with a big bag of leaves
0: this is I love that. very good exercise too <laughs> and if they're wet <laughs> they're particularly heavy I've got to say oh <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> wow. Wow. I am loving this idea particularly for the the chickens um, Yeah. It, it, buying straw for putting down in their little their little bedroom, um, yeah, it's it doesn't an last expense. Very it, well. Yeah, and it doesn't last. Yeah. It's um, if there are other ways to do things that are better for the hip pocket and better for the environment. We definitely should be.
3: Well, I've got one other hot tip there. I I, I think you'll be interested. I hope your listeners are interested and that's um, there's a company called Reground and they go around to cafes and collect their coffee waste and they go to the roasters and they take the chaff, which is the husk of coffee, and that chaff is great in the chicken run fantastic Mm -hmm. chickens love scratching around in it all the little worms and things love it it just it's (sighs) amazing it lasts a long time and then the coffee obviously you need to compost but then you've got beautiful compost Um, but it's full of carbon it's a really good ingredient and they deliver it if you live within a certain kilometers of, of Melbourne or Geelong they'll deliver it to you for free
0: Um, so I live maybe four minutes from someone that works for Reground and this is the the segue I never knew would happen. So today I've spent most of today book editing and, um, you're a book writer, Jacqueline, and I did want to ask you about the challenges of book writing. Um, for me, it's, it's focus instead of sitting still and I, (laughs) I just want to get up and cook and test things. Um. That's particularly because of the cookbook writing. Today yeah. I was actually editing a recipe by a friend who works for Reground. Oh. Yes. Okay, I did not know that. There's, <laughs> Reground is not sponsoring this episode. I don't know. I no, no, I just, no. <laughs> but we'll, we'll, I think we need to have them on, Scotty. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm wondering when it comes to book writing for you, Jacqueline, mm. what, are some, what are some challenges that you've faced and, and how have you overcome them?
3: I think anyone who is doing a creative pursuit, um, in your mind the thing you're making is so beautiful. It's beautiful. It's so good. And then you <laughs> sit down and there's that white blank screen in front of you or piece of paper or canvas or plate or whatever it is, a music sheet, um, and you go to start and it's terrible. And you know it's terrible. And the hard part for me isn't so much getting the terrible down. I can get the terrible down. It's making it good and making Mm. something that's similar to how it was when it was just beautifully perfect in my head Mm. Um, and trying to get it as close to that as I can. And I find it really hard and I find... Um, yeah, I find it hard, especially with with this project. The hard thing was trying to do justice and honor to this generation of people who were so important to me. Um, yes, yeah,
1: there's a lot of pressure there. It
3: felt like a lot of pressure. I knew my family would read it. I knew my friends would read. You know, and I just, I, I, I really was. I need to get this down. Also, because we're losing all this knowledge and mm. these people and. The next generation, I don't know about you, Elise, but my parents aren't doing, they're not following a lot of those same traditions that my grandparents did. Um, Things are being lost, even if they, what they do, like just things are being lost, things are going to be lost and I just felt this real pressure to capture what I could. But um, how you overcome it is you just keep going. You just sit there and you keep slogging and trying and, crying sometimes, walking is good, yeah. having a shower is good. I find those stupid things really work. People say mm. that to you, like, go for a walk and you like, I hate you, that's not going to help <laughs> me. But it does, it actually does. And just moving, um, moving your body when you've just been sitting there staring and mm. languishing. It's
0: really useful. <laughs> 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 languishing. Um, a, a, f- a friend of mine said um, that she, another friend of mine is is a published writer, and she said, "Oh, I, I only ever give my publisher finished books because I, I want to write because it makes me feel good. I don't want to write to meet their deadlines." Yeah. I'm like, oh yeah, that's that's one way to approach things. <laughs> <laughs> that's
3: lovely. Um, yeah, I'm I'm in the face of a looming deadline, so I, yeah, I don't know how I'll go with that but
0: um mm. but just so, are, are we able to know about your <laughs> next project what are you able to tell us
3: um so I'm working on something that's much more ambitious than ever anything I've ever done before and I also feel it will probably be my last book oh, so wow. that um I, I don't really think I have another one in me I think I've sort of covered everything I really care about So that's a lot of pressure too, you know, if you want it to be really good. (laughs) Um, But it's about pasta and it's about people who make pasta. It's not a cookbook because I'm not a chef and I would never, I I, I don't make recipes. I follow other people's recipes and how how I was taught to make pasta by my nonna. Um, I'm not inventing anything different or new. But um, And I keep saying I have imposter syndrome because I keep thinking who my I to write this book about pasta when there are so many incredible books about pasta that I admire and love. But this one, again, it is trying to capture the generational knowledge of um, Italian non And so I'm going and making pasta with them and hearing their stories and seeing how they do things and trying to write it all down and take photos and do it justice which again i just yeah don't know how to do that
0: ah! what what stage are you at at the moment um, in the in the process of things I think we might have similar stories involving uh, <laughs> coordinating community members uh, featuring yeah. them in a book and, and recording their stories doing them justice I'm, I'm wondering where you're at with it Jacqueline
3: your project looks incredibly beautiful and I think it's going to be very special and a very important community moment not just for reservoir but for all the inner north and anyone just anyone I think It's going to be beautiful. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, So I am recruiting nonnas. So if anyone hearing this has a nonna who makes pasta um, and would be willing to make pasta with me and to share some stories, uh, have me take photos of them. Um, I find the photo part is probably the most challenging because I'm not a photographer as well Mm -hmm. and I certainly don't have those skills naturally, but I do want it to feel very homey um and Mm. i I don't want to make anyone uncomfortable um but i am also i should also say that there are some professional chefs who i'm interviewing um some professional pasta makers packet pasta there's some really great small Mm. uh, you know you guys would be interested in this um people starting to make you know buying extruders and making packet pasta and selling it at markets and that sort of thing which i find Mm. so exciting because for me packet pasta has always come from italy um, which is a long way to I was complaining about Queensland's like I've eaten pasta from Italy my whole <laughs> life um, so that's a long way and yeah there's a lot of people doing really interesting things in pasta I'm also I really want there's a section of gluten-free pasta so I've had mm-hmm. to learn how to make that which was much harder than I thought it would be I guess mm-hmm. um, it's just a different texture Without gluten, I mean, to me, pasta is gluten. Um, So when you remove gluten, what do you, you know, when you're kneading, what are you working? It's it's just a different way of thinking about Mm -hmm. pasta, which has actually sort of made me realize, or everything about this project has made me realize, I know nothing about pasta. And the more I research, and the more I work on this book, the more I realize I know less and less than I thought I knew. Um, By the end of it, I'll be convinced I know nothing about pasta. Ah. (laughs) And and the problem with Italian pasta is the same shape can have ten names.
1: Oh, yes. Can I tell you, with (laughs) MasterChef, we went down this rabbit hole of we thought we were going to have a challenge where we had to name pasta shapes. Oh, wow. And I spent weeks trying to memorise them. (laughs) And they are. There's no continuity between names and shapes and my gosh and you
3: think it's regional <laughs> but it's not it's one family to the next you can have oh some slight variation and then the name is different and then um and people feel passionately about these things and i totally get that so you yeah it's um <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah so i mean that pro- i guess well, i don't think i've answered your question where am i i don't know where i am <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> i'm no. nowhere <laughs> no it, it it is a process <laughs> and um Within the community of pasta makers that you're reaching out to, mm. I'm, I'm also thinking, um, you know, are you talking to people involved in, in flour? Um, yeah, so mm. I guess that's the main thing I've learnt from the
3: professionals is um, the importance of freshly milled flour. Which is not an, um, not something I've spent I've thought enough about to be honest, because what I'm learning from the Nodnas is very different. Mm. They just use plain flour from the supermarket, and that's what they're making pasta with. And mm. there's no pretension about the flour. Um, there's no it's not tipo zero zero like it's just it's plain flour. It's plain flour, mm. and the pasta is delicious. So, but. That said, um, I do think I do need to extrapolate out to wheat um, because I certainly buy, I'm very conscious of the flour I buy being local and um, there's some wonderful people in the Mornington Peninsula region growing really interesting um, heirloom heritage grain. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I actually think my my next purchase is going to be a flour mill, uh, a proper one. That's something nice. I'm going to buy
0: new. The next <laughs> yes. investment. The Hello. next investment in the kitchen. Um, if you bought a Vitamix, there is a milling jug. No. Yes.
1: Oh, no. There, there is a know.
0: wet jug and a dry jug and you can mill with the dry jug. So. Yeah,
1: <laughs>
3: and maybe I won't need the flour mill if I just buy the vitamins. Maybe you
0: oh, can come okay. and um, I, I have a very old model, so if you need um, to try before you buy, okay, and, I'll and, be coming over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow, <laughs> wow,
3: that's that's me blowing no, my no. mind, and I love that we're coming full sort of circle too. Like the, <laughs> the blender Tell story, I didn't mean to bring up the blender. I'm going to regret <laughs> that but
0: anyway. No, 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 um, no. This is the thing. Like my non has had her. Vitamix since I was 18 that's, well, that's a long thing. time
3: I believe in things lasting <laughs> mm. a long time and buying something mm. that's quality that will last because you think you're saving anything anytime you think you're saving money you're, you're not or some the cost is being passed on somewhere else in the ch- chain of life right yes
2: yes um mm.
3: cheap food cheap meat especially like that sort of thing like the, the, the cost is just elsewhere so yeah, I should have I should have just gone the really yeah.
0: expensive Vitamix. One of the reasons I love my partner Adam is because he reminds me of my nonno, and he's not <laughs> Italian, but he's very much an old soul with 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 the ways of, of my nonno Pepe. Anyway, one of his favorite sayings is the the value um, the price is gone. You forget that you forget the price, oh. but the quality is never forgotten. Mm-hmm. Um, it's nice. I've probably par- paraphrased him a bit poorly yeah. there, but but um, yeah, it's yeah. another thing that he says. No, he's
3: absolutely right. Oh. Um, the other thing I'm getting into is this is random, but pressure canning is my new oh. sort of preserving technique oh. so I can preserve stock in glass How you jars. Do that? So you you well I was given a pressure canner, which is just a giant saucepan um, with clamps on it and a little gauge. That it get, and you, you use a lot less water than in a water bath sort of situation for preserving. Mm-hmm, um, mm. But I really want to have jars of stock on my shelf that I can just go. I, you know, I don't know about you guys but the freezer space is so precious. I always have stock yes. in my freezer but I just can never have enough space. I just don't have enough space. So mm. this is my solution. Um, and I think my nonna would have been so into it if she had known about it. Because you really can't – it's a way to preserve fruit and vegetables without using acid. So obviously I can pickle to my heart's content. I can make my sorghows and all my tomato preserves because of Mm. the acid. But um, I can't just preserve corn, fresh corn, unless I were to pickle it, which I don't want to do. So, yeah, this is the way Mm. to do that and – I'm very Ooh, into it.
0: it. I know it's great. Yes. <laughs> you could you could <laughs> pressure can even a like a, a, a with meat in it. You can. You can if, yes, if you can, were yeah. so inclined. Yes. Damn. Yeah. So mm. it's, uh,
3: I, I mean, yeah. For meat, it's one of the only ways to preserve to can meat in a home okay. sort of setting.
1: Uh, yes.
0: You guys I need to get on to this. this. Yes. <laughs> I think so. The, the previous owners of this house installed a steam oven and I never really oh. understood its value until I was working in a commercial kitchen where you use a steamer every day. And during Posada season, all okay. of the – so I was working up at the meat room in Kilmore and they had to process all the tomatoes. They were making pasada. And they were sealing all the jars in the steam oven. I was like, I've got a steam oven at mm-hmm. home. This we're is not what in a water bath, do. just in a steam oven. Mm. Yes. Mm. So smart. So, all the jars in the steam oven. And it just, you know, okay. the suction cap at the top, mm. it just yes. sinks Sucked right down. In. Mm. Well, that's my next uh, kitchen purchase. <laughs> Clearly now I need a um, steam
3: oven. I don't <laughs> know. I don't know.
0: It's, I this has the, been an expensive the, episode. The blender is <laughs> more
3: important. The blender is more
2: important. Yeah, the blender. The, the
0: steam oven, it's like a luxury thing that we have that it's kind of like, how are we going to use it? Mm. If we didn't have it, we wouldn't have needed it. No, we wouldn't sure. have used it. It's just so, a –
3: Yeah, I have a giant drum that, you know, you build a little fire under and you just boil all the bottles and that seals them. you are all ready to go.
0: <laughs> um, Jacqueline when do you think people could expect your next project to be available for purchase
3: mm. well if all if I'm able to get it out of my head and onto the page and feel I've done it justice it'll be September next year September 2023
0: beautiful beautiful pasta well, love. it's going to be called um, oh. a love letter to pasta and the people who make it Jacqueline, if people could um, keep following you and your your bookish, foodish life, um, how can people find you?
3: Well, it's it's all come down to Instagram, I guess. It's all, it's all sort of started there and that's where I'm continuing it on. It is mostly book reviews. I've got to caveat that because I read a lot. So it is mostly book reviews, but that, that's, that aside, I do really use my stories to talk about food and gardening and
0: my dog. I hope you enjoyed that um, chat with Jacqueline. She is an absolute wealth of knowledge and someone who interviews a lot of the time but isn't always on the receiving end of the questions. So uh, I I hope that everyone enjoyed that opportunity to hear Jacqueline's um, points of view on the topics that we discussed. She was
1: so gorgeous. I loved her. And I, I love how it like makes you think about things in a new way. Like, when I walk down the street now and see leaf litter, I'm going to think of Jacqueline. Oh, my gosh.
0: Scotty, I don't know if you live in the kind of area where people do this, but people fill buckets of leaves where I live. I have seen old ladies do it everywhere.
1: This must be a Melbourne thing. (laughs) Paul
0: styrene boxes. It might even be more peculiar to the northern suburbs, to be honest.
1: (laughs) Look, we don't um, have a lot of deciduous trees and things like that or oak trees. I don't think I can remember seeing an oak tree in Brisbane. Mm. So, like, it makes you appreciate how different our towns are. Hey, there is some big differences in climates and vegetation and food and And culture. culture.
0: (laughs) So, if you if you do live in the northern suburbs of Melbourne and you are new to the area, you see old ladies uh, filling up polystyrene boxes or filled with leaves. Now you know why they're doing it. Yes. Um, and if you see me do it too, you now know why. Yes. <laughs> Scotty, shall we dive into our show and tell for the week?
1: I think we should. Woohoo. What a delightful <laughs> idea. Yeah.
0: Shall I go first quite quickly? Yes. My my show and tell is is brief, but on brand. Um, I Ooh. have a copy of Garden Like a Nonno with me, Jacqueline's lovely book um, dedicated to the wealth of knowledge held by uh, our uh, patriarchs <laughs> within <laughs> Italian families. Although, um, you know, this book is more about the Italian art of growing your own food. nonna's Garden too. Um, okay. Are you ready to hear this? I'm ready. These are words that are related to winter gardening. Okay. Don't think of winter as a quiet time in the garden. There is still lots to grow and many jobs to do. It's the perfect time to get your seeds, shed, soil and tools in order to... Winter is the best time to plan the garden for the next few growing seasons. Any job you have neglected, such as setting up a watering system or freshening up the compost, should be taken care of over winter. Hmm. So there we go.
1: Very practical advice.
0: Even though it's cold out there, we can be preparing for spring. Um, Hmm. And this is a time to also have... Things in your garden like broad beans, cabbage, chicory, endive, garlic, Jerusalem artichokes, lettuce, Ooh, yeah. mustard greens, onion, parsnip peas, and radishes. I have mm. lettuce. Do you have lettuce?
1: <laughs> no, I need to. I need to. I wonder yes. if, like, if I go to Bunnings to get some lettuce seedlings, are they going to be horrifically expensive as well?
0: I don't know. Just... I asked Adam this question earlier mm. today. Well, we had this conversation. Did I, you? Yeah, yeah. Our lettuce in the garden at the moment is quite bitter, so I love it. The leaves are very robust, nice and thick and firm, but that's because they're they're older plants. And Mm. Adam prefers his lettuce to be a little bit more mild, uh, crisper, Mm. young, more delicate. So if we wanted lettuce sooner rather than later, we would go down to our local nursery and buy a punnet of seedlings. Mm. Um, And sometimes we do that to supplement the seeds that we put in um but I've got a feeling that it's going to be a problem Either I reckon there will they be, won't have any yeah I, I've got a feeling that the shelves will be bare but I will report back
1: okay report back next week <laughs> <Yes>.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh dear what's your show and tell Scotty Bagnell
1: okay my show and tell it will be also fairly short um mm-hmm. I can't show you the box because it's clear, Um, but it is on brand um, because it comes from the dirt. I didn't grow it. I wish I grew it.
0: But someone else did. And that's, you know, a part of the whole system of the world that we live in. People grow stuff and other people take it from them.
1: I do. (laughs) This is one of the most expensive (laughs) things you could possibly grow.
0: Hmm.
1: Can you guess what it is
0: yet? Oh, hello. Yes, I know what it is. And um, you went to a... Oh, wow. No way. Are they truffles? What?
1: These are truffles. Oh, my God.
0: Okay. So, Scotty has this container and uh, obviously the, the clarity of this footage isn't fantastic. Oh, they're eggs. I thought that was a whole container of truffles. There are probably like two truffles in there and the rest are eggs.
1: Correct. So there's two truffles in here. But it is a plastic um, container full of eggs. I need to go to the shops and buy more eggs because there's not Mm. enough eggs in here. But Mm -hmm. this is one of my hot tips. I've just opened like the smallest bit of this Tupperware container and the whole room smells like truffle. Oh, my gosh. I love Hello. truffles so much. I can't tell you how obsessed I am with truffles.
0: Truffles are so potent. They have oh. that, that effect like stinky feet. Like if someone's taken their shoes off in one room and you can smell them wherever else you are yes. in the house.
1: Yes. <laughs>
0: and Why so the this eggs? Is, yeah,
1: sorry. This sorry, is sorry. my hot <laughs> tip. Let me show mm. you a truffle first. Let me just yeah. unwrap this gorgeous truffle.
0: Oh, I want to inhale it. Where's the uh, smell-o-vision feature? I
1: know. You need (laughs) smell-o-vision. This Mm. is a beautiful truffle from the Truffle Man in Brisbane. It comes from Perth, WA, Um, and it is absolutely divine. It is so beautiful. There's a little slice there. Um, Mm. You always know, you know it's a good truffle and it's been taken care of if there's this little chip out of it. I don't know whether you know this, but this is how the truffle farmers test whether it's ripe or not. Um, Mm. And so if they haven't taken this little chip off, you could get an unripe truffle. You should never buy a truffle that hasn't got that because you don't really know what's inside. And if it's not ripe, it will be a lighter colour. On the inside, it won't have gone dark. As it ripens, it gets blacker and blacker and blacker. And so before the truffle farmer... Um, digs this up they take this little slice off to make sure that it's fully ripe and when mm. you're buying your truffle you know it's fully ripe
0: beautiful
1: so that's a little hot tip with the truffle it's and kind the- of
0: similar to how they grade tuna they'll, they'll cut mm. the end uh, of the, like near where the tail end is to, to see how much fat is in the tuna and they'll grade it I mm. wonder if the truffle goes through a grading system when it gets chipped
1: definitely does um okay. s- size um color texture um, you know, there's like front of house truffles like that are beautiful and round. And then there's all sorts of like ugly ones that have grown uh, around tree roots and things like that. So you can often get cheaper truffles if you don't want a perfectly looking truffle. All the restaurant good...
0: secrets. <laughs> mm,
1: that's also a good little tip. Mm. But my biggest tip is this container full of eggs. Um, this is the best way I have learned so many ways to extend Mm. the life of this truffle because they're not cheap. Uh. Um, They're very expensive to buy. So Mm. when I buy them, I want to make sure I get every single cent out of them. So I store them in paper towel. You want to change the paper towel um, every day and then in the fridge in this container full of eggs Eggs, the shell of an egg is very porous. And so the the fragrance and the smell and the flavour of the truffle permeates the shell of an egg and flavours that egg on the inside. So after three or four days, um, you don't want to leave it too much longer than that because truffle, you have to eat. It's got a very short shelf life. It's probably only got five or six days maximum. Mm. Um, if you've got it fresh, and so then you have this beautiful container of truffled eggs, and so then with that truffle egg pass um truffle scrambled eggs in the morning, divine. Like you don't even need to shave any truffle <laughs> over the top. I do, of course, but you can just have beautiful scrambled eggs that have got this divine scramble um, truffle flavour. Um, freshly made pasta. Use the egg yolks for the pasta and you get the pasta tasting like truffle. Cool. Um, and then shave it over the top. I do a um, just a really simple cabanara. So yeah. you've got the truffle egg yolks in the pasta and then truffle eggs folded through the pasta. It's truffle on such... truffle on truffle. Oh,
0: so distinguished. <laughs> <laughs>
1: And then I usually freeze a bit, make some salt, like...
0: Yeah. Can I ask how much... So people are often intimidated by truffles because they can be so expensive. Speaking of expensive fruit and vegetables, (laughs) what did those truffles cost you?
1: Look, truffles depending on the size, they're not too scary. So it mm. can be anywhere. That one is um, about 35 grams. So it's quite a big one. So that's about 80 to to $100 probably. Jesus. Um, but... You can get smaller ones, like a 20-gram truffle might be between 60 or $80, something around that, and that's Mm. not too bad. Like, that will go through probably a 20-gram truffle. You could stretch it to four people, two courses, easy.
2: Mm. Um,
1: And then if you extend the life of it, eggs, like, then you've got more courses and you can um, do lots of different things with it.
0: So there's a truffle guy in Melbourne who... Sells them at wholesale prices and he'll deliver them to your door.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: And I asked him recently what he was charging. I need to tell you this, Scotty, because mm. I don't know who feels sent to Queensland. I've got no idea. But mm. I've got a feeling these are competitive prices. And if you are on Instagram and you find Roberts and sell, you yes. will find a, um, a wholesaler. Uh, who is selling truffles at $1.50 per gram.
1: Oh. Yeah. Whoa.
0: Is that, that really is good?
1: That is very good. That is very good. Um, speaking of Robert Sensel, the other truffle that I have in here is from Robert. And he oh, does, there you go. He does send to Queensland. So there you go.
0: If you are an avid urban gardener, If you are someone that loves to grow stuff, we'd love to hear from you. What are your gardening tips? What Mm. are you going to be planting in spring? Are you planning ahead? How far in advance do you plan? Is that an approach that you take? Maybe you don't make lists. Maybe you don't plan. Maybe you just chuck things in on the day that you decide to garden. Um, We want to hear from you because um, we want to be inspired. (laughs) This season is the season to grow your own because fruit and vegetables – are just unaffordable
1: that's that's exactly right and there's something very rewarding about growing your own fruit and vegetables looking watching the process um and you know what it makes you appreciate how hard farmers work it's not easy particularly with Jacqueline today talking about like pest management I tell you what, it makes me appreciate what goes into our fruit and vegetables because I battle every single pest you could possibly imagine at home, and it's hard
0: <laughs> work. Scotty's a modern what day what soldier.
1: <laughs>
0: <do>. <laughs> he's out there in his commando every day battling. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't think
1: I'm out in commando, I think that means something else. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I'm oh, not that kind of gardener I mean. <laughs> oh, You know the, the, the get up that they wear Like the boot camp people <laughs> Like the boot camp people <laughs> The camouflage <laughs> Look Some people are that kind of gardener Are you that kind of gardener Were you inspired by those ads in the 90s For Neighbours Be Gone Maybe you were Is that a Melbourne thing or is that a Queensland thing Do you know what I'm talking about Scotty
1: I have no idea what you're talking about it's <gasps> a Melbourne thing
0: there used to be a nursery with ads on free-to-air TV and their, their, um, their ad was for Neighbours Begone Trees at the nursery. They saw a lot of things at the nursery, but um, like they would wear nothing behind these neighbour Begone Trees and like, they'd peek out and there'd be this man and this woman butt naked. It's <laughs> this,
1: this a strange place, Melbourne, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs>
0: You've been listening to Cream, Eggs and Jam. I'm Elise Pulbrook, and you can find me on Instagram at Elise underscore foodperson.
1: And I'm Scott Bagnall, and you can find me on Instagram at SSBagnall. If you'd like to send us your show and tell, you can email us elise at gmail.com.
0: Or if you'd like the visual experience of this podcast, you can find us on YouTube at Cream Eggs and Jam.
1: Have a great day.
0: Happy baking!